Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash bookshow. Then go over to morbidlybeautiful.com as we are now part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin. As you can hear, the sirens are still ringing. The disaster has not ended yet. We, matter of fact, we got a long way to go before this disaster is over. But another week brings another episode. And this one is just our latest cult corner poll. So we all nominated. The, the way we come to the conclusion on these usually is we all kind of nominate our own favorites. Sp- put them on the wheel, spin it, and uh, whatever it lands on, that's what we do. And I don't remember who nominated Dr. Strangelove, but that's what it landed on. So we're going to be talking about Stanley Kubrick's classic, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. I- I'm Josh, and I'm joined here with Donnie. Yep. And the Professor Smoke. What's up? Yeah, th- this is a this is a classic. Man, I mean, I, I've seen this before, but it's been so long, I'm, it might as well be the first time I've watched it. Because there were certain aspects of this I remembered in certain aspects. It's like, maybe it was lost on me when I watched it. 25, 30 years ago. It was a long time ago. I was in high school or something when I watched this. So when I went on like a Kubrick kick, you know, sometime yeah. long ago and watched all of his movies. But I'll say this before we di- uh, dive into it. The only disappointment I had with this movie is that Kubrick never made another comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, he, he didn't make any more. Oh, yeah. Because he, he honestly, he didn't make many more movies as far as directing after this period, you know, just, just a handful and we'll get into that. But like, I, I'm disappointed he didn't, tap into this genre again later on, you know? Yeah, this was a great one, man. But before we, we, we dive deep, uh, we'll go ahead and throw out some of the usual information. You need to go check out aaspookshow.com. That's the center of the Spook Show universe, like we like to say. And from there, you can uh, dive deeper into the summer disaster. You can go over to our YouTube channel, where we've got uh, cool uh, summer disaster-related stuff with our Video Vortex series and our Grindhouse Gutter series. Uh, all the podcast episodes are up over there, too. Of course, we encourage you to dive into the archives and listen to all 165 or so episodes from the past. They're all there. Also, from there, you can reach our Patreon, patreon.com slash Show as well, where uh, you can listen to the latest Craftsterpiece Theater or the latest Library of the Professor segment with our video minisodes every month. Uh, those are uh, related to the summer disaster as well. So the multiverse of madness of disasters. Is going right now all across all of the ways you you dive into the Spook Show universe, and if you do, we appreciate you for sure for listening, for watching, for everything uh, that allows us to keep doing this. We appreciate you. So yeah, with that all out of the way, we'll go ahead and toss to the trailer for Doctor Strange Love. <laughs> Each 
machine. Fluids. The doomsday machine. Blast off! All the Russians involved, sir. Well, boys, I reckon this is it. Nuclear combat toe-to-toe with the Ruskies. I don't like the look of this, Fred. All right, tell you what you better do, old buddy. I was under the impression that I was the only one in authority to order the use of nuclear weapons. Uh, that's right, sir. You are the only person authorized to do so. And although I uh, hate to judge before all the facts are in, it's beginning to look like uh, General Ripper exceeded his authority. I, I first became aware of it, Mandrake, during the physical act of love. Huh. Missile still deflecting. Range one mile. Has that plane really got a chance of getting through? Well, uh, sir, uh, if the pilot's good, see, I mean, I mean, if he's really sharp, he can barrel that baby in so low. I mean, <laughs> you ought to see it sometime. It's a sight, you a big plane like a 52. It's jet exhaust, flying chickens in the barnyard. Dr. Strangelove, or how I learned to stop worrying and... Love the bomb. A moving <laughs> picture. All right, there's the trailer for that. And that that if you need to watch that trailer, so that really is one of the coolest trailers, especially like really at a time where like I don't think trailers really were that popular of a thing yet in 1964, right? Like yeah, I mean they still made trailers and stuff like that, but they were more like things that just kind of got thrown onto the front of a, a say a double feature at a drive-in or something like that to entice you to come back the next week. So trailers usually were, you know, weren't the, the thought I don't think was put into trailers back then as it is now or has been over say the last 30 or 40 years. Right. Smoke. No, I don't think they're, uh, they definitely didn't. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they viewed them as some sort of promotion for the movie, maybe to draw people yeah. in, but yeah. not to the degree they would get later in the seventies and eighties as, as really, an art form in and of themselves sometimes. And sometimes Absolutely. they give away too much and, you know, sometimes not enough. I mean, it's, it, it definitely became an art form in its own on how to make the proper trailer. Well, they, this, this is one of those ones I bet you they show in trailer school, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the better yeah. film schools where they're going to say like, these are examples of how to put, how, how to put together a solid trailer. This has got to be one, one of the ones they would show. I would think. Yeah. I heard 
I mean, I remember watching this in film school. Actually, this that was the first time I had seen it back then. Yeah. So there you go. So yeah, just just a great trailer. So I would encourage you know beyond just listening to it like you just did, go over hop over to YouTube, look it up, check it out. And we also usually put the link to the trailer down in the show notes. If you look down below, you should be able to click it there and uh, just you want to see this trailer because it's it's cool visually, uh, especially for one that's so old. You know, nineteen sixty four. Yeah. Um, also, this is rare air for us as far as just an old movie, right? I mean, we've done a handful, but not a whole hell of a lot. Right. I mean, yeah, it's probably, like most of our older movies. I mean, really older movies are come up more so on Hammer yeah, <laughs> right now Hammer on the Hammer whole, uh, yeah, yeah. corner because we're in the fifties and Hammer. Yeah, we haven't got out of the fifties there, but like here on the podcast proper, uh, only a handful, right? Like one of Donnie's favorite, Jesse James meets uh, Frankenstein's daughter or whatever that movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot of you know what else? The Wolf Nine, Man. I think yeah, the, the Wolf. The Nine Wolf Man. Was, yeah, we Nine did. Was, we did one podcast of um uh 100 years of horror and that yeah, was that was more you know, of a, that that wasn't necessarily focusing on one though remember we talked about yeah, yeah that was uh yeah. 1922 movie so it was like Nosferatu yeah handful yeah. of others horror that came out that year kind of what you could argue one of the birth years of horror right that that year is why we kind of focused on it cuz there were some big ones that came out that year but um yeah, so not a lot. Have so you know, I don't know if we have we done any universal classic universal monster movies. We have not. Well, That's well, actually well, 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 the Wolfman, right? Wouldn't that? Well, we... yeah, that's right. Yeah. We did do the Wolf. I think yeah. Summer of the Wolf. Yep. That's it, though. Yeah, we haven't we haven't dove into any others, and that was in the forties, right? So not in many, definitely not maybe. many past, not many past nineteen seventy, right? The early seventies. We haven't done many. That's the point, and this is uh. This is a good one. This is a good one. I think it's a it's an appropriate pull for the Spook Show Summer Disaster and kind of the theme of what we're doing, disastrous events and whatnot. And it's also a good pull for Cult Corner period. Um, but we'll, oh, yeah. we'll, we'll we'll dive into that a, a little bit more here in just a second. This movie I found I'd say one alternative title and then two working titles. But I thought the working titles were pretty good. But the the alternative title was just funny. Uh, two of the working titles: Edge of Doom, which I think that you know, probably would have worked too. And a delicate balance of terror. Those were the two working titles. Hmm. Yeah. I think I like the first one a little better. Edge of doom. Yeah. Edge of e- doom. E- either yeah. way. Right. You know, it kind of works for what, what you get here. Definitely. They chose the different one for sure. Right. Dr. Strangelove or how I learned to stop. Corn. I mean, that's a weird title compared to those two. Right. Um, it definitely contains the humor that you're going to get. But I guess the other two titles were, more on something you would think of being a serious post-apocalyptic yeah, yeah. movie more so than the, you know. They're, they're more on point to what you're about to see versus like, uh, you know, the, the like you said, leaning into the comedy aspect of it. But the other alternative title that I saw in Brazil, it was known as Dr. Fantastico. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the other alternative titles were just translations of Dr. Strangelove, right? And of course, also, and we're going to abbreviate it here just so we don't have to say the whole damn title the, the rest of the movie or the rest of the episode. It's just Dr. Strangelove. That, that's, you know, and it's, even in some places, I think it was just known as Strangelove. So either way, right? Same title. But yeah. it was released January 29th, 1964, and it was produced by Hulk Films, distributed by Columbia Pictures, rated PG, total runtime of one hour and 35 minutes, and on IMDb it's listed as a comedy slash war film. And, uh, of course, it was written and directed by Stanley Kubrick, with writing credits for Terry Southern and Peter George. 
But uh, really up to this point, too, especially for Stanley Kubrick, it kind of fell in line with a lot of what he had done, if you know anything about you know, his directing credits prior to this, because uh, the dude only has 16 directing credits, period. And a lot of those are short films that he did early on, like in the, <clears throat> fi- in the 50s. He did uh, three short films, Flying Padre, Day of the Flight, and The Seafarers. And then his directorial feature film debut was Fear and Desire, and then The Killer's Kiss, The Killing, Paths of Glory. All of these, up until he got up to Spartacus in 1960 and then the Lolita, in 1962, prior to Doctor Strangelove, pretty much all of those had something to do with war. They were like short films for war. Uh, might even have been like, uh, you know, government type stuff, right? Smoke, like doing some of those short films and stuff for the government. Yeah. 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 Definitely a lot of war related or military related films. And then even later in life, he, he did Full Metal Jacket. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, as well as, what was the, uh, British like revolution like movie. I can't remember the name oh, of uh, that. Uh, Barry Lyndon. I think there was some Barry Lyndon. Yeah. yeah. So that's also sort of, I mean, you know, dealing, dealing with military anyways. Yeah. I mean, cause every, I mean, like I said, he had a short, a short long career because his career yeah. literally spanned, started in, uh, uh, 1951 and went all the way up to, you know, his, uh, his last film that, you know, came out roughly around, it might even have released after his passing, right? Eyes wide shut. 1999. Um, yeah. After Dr. Strangelove, he only, arguably though, he only made, uh, let's see, three, six more movies after this, but arguably one of the best stretches in Hollywood history as far as directorials, right? Because <laughs> after this, starting in 1968, 2001 A Space Odyssey, A Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, and Eyes Wide Shut. I mean, yeah. not, not many dudes have a run like that, right? No, and that and that was, and I mean, he could take the time, and like I said, he did. He took he, probably of the like top directors. When you think of names that are in top director category, he's one of them. But a lot of these other directors have had quite a few more under the belt. Like you look at Steven Spielberg. I mean, I don't know how many movies he's directed, but it's been a shit ton, you know. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> in fact, he took over uh, for Kubrick's last film. Well, I mean, before his death, the film he was working on was AI. And uh, yeah. Steven Spielberg took over that one. I think I don't think Kubrick got any further than pre-production on that one. I believe mm-hmm. I don't think he got into shooting anything, but Spielberg took over. But yeah, I mean, for somebody having that small amount of credits, there's a lot of masterpieces in there. And I mean, that that, that happens. I guess when you take your time and put all this energy and effort into each one of your movies, and you're you know talented like that, then yeah, they're they're pretty much all going to be. And I haven't seen all of them by any means. I've seen all of those ones mentioned after Doctor Strangelove. Uh, but I have not seen some of the earliest ones he made. I have seen The Killing, and I can definitely recommend that one. That was a great film noir. Maybe that was kind of his thing, too, is like dipping into the genres, you know? Like, because, like I said off the top, like, my only disappointment here is that he never did comedy again, because, like, they really nailed yeah. it here in this one, you know? And, of course, a lot of that is due to Peter Sellers, and we'll get into that. But um, it would have been interesting to see him do more, at least maybe something that had a little bit more edge of comedy to it, right? Like, yeah, because well, well, honestly, too, if you think about some of those movies that he did, that are masterpieces. There are bits of very, very extremely dark comedy. If you look at Clockwork Orange, yeah, I, I dare you to watch that movie and try not to laugh at certain scenes. And certain scenes you probably shouldn't be laughing at. I mean, yeah, he sure. purposely put it there for you to laugh at. But when they're singing, <laughs> singing in the rain, for instance, and they're uh, doing all these terrible things to this family, to this husband and wife, or whatever. 
you're you i dare you not to laugh during that scene and it's something you shouldn't you know did you feel like damn i shouldn't be laughing there's not really fucked up what's going on here but but he definitely has a lot of that in his movies and that also that includes full metal jacket you know you got gunnery sergeant uh hartman you know uh yeah uh, i was about to say uh arlie ermy's part yeah, in full metal yeah jacket. every line he has in that movie is something that i mean he's you know he's a drill instructor or whatever for you know marine corps and uh but everything out of his mouth is uh, generally is probably more offensive these days than it was back then. But it was offensive then too. But it's hilarious. I mean, he's he's pushing these guys to you know he's a drill sergeant, so he's going to be hard on them and stuff. But uh, and then you know once they get out to Vietnam, it's not so you know even the humor some, even some there. humor humoristic kind of dark comedy stuff in The Shining too. You know, which we talked about yeah. all the way back in episode thirty three. There's some stuff there. Yeah, thank definitely thanks to I think Kubrick and his writing and him having. Jack Nicholson there. <laughs> yeah. Jack Nicholson provided his own humor, but again, dark humor. Yeah. Things that you're like, I was thinking, yeah, I probably shouldn't be laughing at this guy who's like stalking his wife up the stairs with an axe. <laughs> saying things he's saying, but it's freaking hilarious, you know. But in this one, in Doctor Strange Love, you're getting more your traditional comedy, especially of the sixties, you know. Yeah. But I, I think oh. you you between the fact that it's Kubrick writing and directing it with Terry Southern and um, Peter George, you've got you've got Peter Sellers, who's like a comedic genius, right? Like he's he's up there. He's a high on the yeah, high on the pecking order yeah. of uh, comedic actors, right? You've got yeah. a great performance by George C. Scott. Uh, once again, Slim Pickens, who goes on. Yeah. You know, he's, he's he's more of a western guy, right? But like the dude goes on to Blazing Saddles, starts working with Mel Brooks oh, yeah. and stuff like that. You know, like the comedic timing there. Other people like Sterling Hayden, Keenan Wynn, who's in a lot of great movies. James Earl Jones. Although it doesn't have a lot of lines in it, you know, it's not like a major part in this, but you know, just the the stock here, man. Like, <laughs> it's just a, a great. I'm pretty cast. sure this was his debut film, wasn't it? His introduction. I, I'm, I didn't well, look, but it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, he was really young here, you know, right? So yeah, it had to it had to have been early on, if not. But yeah, yep. just just up and down. Great cast, great cast here for sure. And we've got we'll have some good stories to go into about some of the cast too, as far as uh, George C. Scott and. Insulin picking. So uh, I mean, I know y'all have some. I have some as well. Yeah, I just looked it up. Uh, James Earl Jones. This was his feature film debut. He had yep. been in a few yep. episodes of like soap operas and other TV shows, like theater productions yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, but this was his uh, film debut. Yeah, here. And like I said, it's not a major part in it, but you recognize, you pretty much yeah. recognize him right away. And then, of course, when he actually has a speaking line, you're like, oh yeah, well, James Earl Jones, you know. <laughs> but. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, as far as like any of the background stuff, I mean, did you guys have anything that I haven't uh, dove into here yet? Uh, yeah, this, um, so Dr. Strange Love was nominated for four Oscars, but they lost all four, uh, all four nominations. They lost three of the four nominations uh, for Best Picture, Best Actor, and Best Director to uh, My Fair Lady. And they also lost Best Screenplay to Beckett. Uh, this is like a period kind of piece with uh, Peter O'Toole. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, My Fair Lady, that was a musical, right? Yeah, probably. I think so. Those were still pretty big at the time, so I guess you could understand Yeah, I that. think so, yeah. Also, it was the, the movie with the longest title that had ever been Oscar-nominated. <laughs> probably That's still. Cool. Yep. I don't doubt that whatsoever. Yeah. You, I you mentioned they had to actually say the entire title of the movie every time it the, the you know the person you know what do you call it the people going up there hosting to give out yeah, the presenters yeah presenters you know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say 
Ma- entire title each time. Maybe I'm that's, sure they just said Dr. Strangelove. Yeah, maybe that's why Kubrick titled it that, so they'd have to go up there and say it over and over again. <laughs> uh, that, um, that'd, be, that'd be comedy gold if that was his only reason for calling it that. You mentioned um, um, that Peter Sellers, uh, he was the first actor to be nominated for a single Academy Award uh, for a film where he basically played multiple characters Yeah, well, um, he was, in that same movie. Yeah, he, he is uh, Captain Lionel Mandrake, you know, the guy that's trying to get yep. a ripper who starts this shit to, like, you know, give him the codes. He plays, yep. the, he plays the president, Merkin Mosley, yep. <laughs> and then he's Dr. Strangelove. So, like, not only is he three different characters, he's three vastly different characters with all, <laughs> all different uh, accents, mannerisms. Like, you, you would not know unless you knew that that was Peter Sellers. You would yeah. not know that that yeah. was the same dude playing each part. No, no, something yeah. else. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, yeah, I don't know. You might be saying the same thing I was going to say. <laughs> go um, ahead. Go ahead. Oh, uh, um, he was actually, he wanted um, him to play uh, Major Kong, but he couldn't, uh, Peter Sellers couldn't develop a, uh, a Texas accent. <laughs> yeah, no, they got the perfect dude with Slim Pick. Yeah. The yeah. Oh, yeah. He is like Texas personified. You know, like yeah. there is no one more perfect for that. Yeah, that yeah. worked out well for Slim Pickens and for the movie itself, I think, because yeah. Peter Sellers is a great actor, but and he was going to do that role. But besides of him not being able to perfect the Texas accent, he he messed up his ankle, sprained it or broke it or something, and he yep. he couldn't he wouldn't be able to move around the cockpit of the B fifty two bomber the way that he should you know be able to for that scene. So that was another reason why they had to find somebody else. Yeah, something but, else. Uh, Go ahead. Wasn't what you were going to say, but uh, <laughs> it's a reference to uh, Peter Sellers and his roles in the movie. The fact that he played three people, because uh, Stanley Kubrick was quoted as saying, because uh, they had to pay him a million dollars. Like, I think at that time, that was like fifty-five percent of the movie's budget went to Peter Sellers' <laughs> his salary. And uh, Kubrick said something like, "Yeah, I got three, and he played three roles." So he's like, "I got me three actors for the price of six. <laughs> yeah, the budget for this movie was one point eight million dollars. So yeah, that would be over half the budget if you're including that in the budget, right? And it went on to a box office of just nine point two million, uh, which you know for the time, right? Um, and it has gotten multiple re-releases where it earned a few bucks more, but basically upon its original release, that's where it got nine point one million of its total box office right there. And of course, it's so far back; I don't have the top ten or anything like that. But I guess My Fair Lady was uh, the awesome box office yeah. draw. I looked that up, by the way. That is a, a musical. I thought it was, but it is. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Don't worry. There's not going to be another. Hey, we're, seri- not, we're not uh, starting another. We're musical. not going to have a new segment on the spook show of musicals. Yeah. No, we're not going to have. Yeah, a, you know, spook we're going to start with the apples. Yeah. <laughs> now, well, now I'm not. That, that is to say. That is to say that we will have some musicals eventually, like the Apple or uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show or something like that. But that is not going to yeah. be a sub series. I can guarantee you that. Or one of my favorites, Cannibal the Musical, Trey and uh, yeah. Trey Parker and Matt Stones. There are other examples, right? And maybe we call uh, the, they're called Spook Show Sings. That's that. That's series. right. <laughs> that's that series. Oh God. <laughs> you know, yeah. This is. I might end up being like on permanent assignment, like Will uh, seems to be <laughs> these days. If all of a sudden we start. Oh man. Up. Mr. Projectionist, stop the show. Here's great news you ought to know. 
we've just got a shipment of taste-thrilled treats, all tip-top quality and delicious eats. There are hot dogs and popcorn and candy galore. There are soft drinks and coffee and a whole lot more. So direct your steps to our refreshment stand to enjoy the finest snacks in all the land. For you, the listeners of the All-American Spook Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So I hopped on to audible.com, just typed in Dr. Strangelove to see what will pop up, and we actually have a couple things here. We've got Dr. Strangelove by Carrie Shale. It's just slightly under two hours long, and this adapted by and starring Carrie Shell. So this might be like a BBC type of, it, it's, it's BBC. So this might be like a an adapted play kind of version, radio play type thing of it. I'm not sure, but it's, it's got the bomb and everything like that. So it's definitely like a dramatization of the movie. So if that interests you, that that's there. And we've also got, uh, let's see the real Dr. Strange love by Peter Goodchild. That one is just over two hours long. It looks like a real spin on Maybe some guy that was kind of like the real life Dr. Strangelove. Yeah, if any of that shit interests you, hop on over to audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Again, audibletrial.com slash spookshow for your free audio book. So what we what we do here is I'll hop over to IMDb and I'll type on or I click on plot summary to see what comes up. Now, last week we introduced a, a new little twist to this is I'm going to I'm going to hop over to chat. What, what is it called? I'm blanking on what the fucking thing is called. Chat GPT. Chat GPT. And I'm going to ask it to give us the synopsis of the movie to see what it comes up with. But before we do that, I want to read the one-sentence uh, IMDb synopsis. An insane American general orders a bombing attack on the Soviet Union, triggering a path to nuclear holocaust that a war room full of politicians and generals frantically tries to stop. So I'm going to type in to old Jat... <laughs> Jat. Chat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take a shat. <laughs> I'm going to type into chat GPT. We'll, we'll get this straight one of these days. Explain <laughs> Dr. Strangelove. Okay. Explain <laughs> Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> explain Dr. Strangelove and see what, see what pops up. Okay, here we go. Dr. Strangelove is a satirical film directed by Stanley Kubrick, released in 1964. The full title of the movie, I'm not reading all that again, is a political satire that mocks the Cold War tensions between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. The film tells the story of a paranoid and deranged U.S. Air Force general who orders a nuclear strike on the Soviet Union without the knowledge or approval of the U.S. government. The situation escalates as political leaders and military officials scramble to prevent a full-scale nuclear war. Dr. Strangelove brilliantly satirizes the absurdity and dangers of nuclear warfare, highlighting the potential for catastrophic consequences stemming from human error, political miscalculation, and unchecked power. The movie offers a darkly comedic take on the Cold War era, employing black humor and memorable characters to convey its message. There's a little bit more, but yeah, you, you get the uh, you get the point. It's regarded as a classic in both the comedy and political satire genres, using humor to criticize the potential for nuclear annihilation and the inherent absurdity of the arms race during the Cold War. I think that pretty uh, hits the nail on the head, right? Like as far as like what's going on here. And um, that that's what I was uh, alluding to last week when we uh, were teasing that we were talking about this, is there are some... Somewhat some comparisons to say don't look up here, right, with the political satire and everything. Mm -hmm. You can even see some comparisons to, like, 2023 here, right? Even though this movie is, what, 60 years old, almost. Sounds wild when you say that, but yeah, damn. I mean, but you can see it there, right? Like, there there are some 
modern day applications where you can say, okay, well, I can, you could compare things, certain aspects of it, right? And, and I, I guess that that political shit show thing is always there, right, Smoke? That's always a thing oh, that yeah. just stays there forever and never goes away. It's timeless. <laughs> <laughs> and we probably, as a movie-based podcast, we probably shouldn't delve too far down the political path. No, well, you know, yeah, but I think I, I just think like it's it's there, and, yeah, it's there. It's and, and don't there. look up, yeah. and it's definitely there here too. Although it's not quite as heavy-handed here, maybe as it was in that one, but it's still it's still there. It's yeah. still pretty prevalent. Most you know? of the time, like oh, and one of the things that ties in with this too that politically speaking, Kennedy was assassinated shortly before this movie came out. And uh, they changed one of the lines that uh, Slim Pickens says, you know, as he was like, there's condoms, this, that, you know, the, I forget the, the whole gist of that line when he's like going through all this stuff, yeah. you know, it's condoms and what was it, some other things, whatever. And he's like, man, a man could have a really good time in Vegas with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the original line was a man could have a really good time in Dallas with this because, you know, him being from Texas, ah, you know, yeah. he's there to Dallas. But that's where, of course, JFK was assassinated and it just happened, so it was so fresh that that joke would not have played off very well at the time. So they changed it to Vegas. And also they had to change the uh, release date of the movie too. Cause I think it was scheduled to come out just shortly before the, assass- I mean, shortly after the assassination. So yeah, uh, they didn't yeah, think it was he, a he good was, time for Kennedy, that to come out. So Kennedy was assassinated, off. I believe in November of 63. Right. And this came out, if I'm not mistaken, and this came out January 29th, 64. So I could totally see yeah. that, you know, and obviously they're they're making fun of everything that like the Kennedy uh, uh, they were going through, right? Like with the Cold War and everything like mm-hmm. that. I mean, they're they're openly yeah. making fun of that whole situation, right? Yeah, yeah, the whole Cold War scenario of uh, of uh, well, also I think the the, fa- the things that happen in this movie are sort of you know they're absurd, it's satire and all that stuff. But I think it did lead a little bit into what could happen. If somebody, you know, if they didn't have yeah. the proper communication, if somebody had a code and they needed to get this information somewhere, like in the movie, it's, it's satire, it's spoofed or whatever, with Peter Sellers having to get quarters to pay the, the <laughs> you know, to feed the payphone or whatever. But I mean, that was some legitimate things that that actually made people made them think, okay, of scenarios like what would happen in this scenario. We need to remedy that. You know, <laughs> I mean, not to that absurdity of like quarter in a payphone, but some, you know, a way to get communication through when they needed to. You quickly, like, so basically it's th- this uh, General Ripper orders a bomb, th- the nuclear bomb, he gives the code. Mm. What do they call it? Like a uh, code R or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. It's like code them, R. Yeah. Gives them the codes to like go drop the nukes on the, on the Soviet Union. Like he's, he's no. basically saying like, yeah, they've started it. Now we're about to end it kind of thing. So they send out the, the bombers to go drop the bombs. But this takes a certain amount of time. But during this time period, you, you realize that General Ripper is just fucking nuts, right? And he's like <laughs> obsessed with bodily fluids. <laughs> I guess like uh, the whole fluoride in the water thing, like got to his head, right? And so he's... Oh, yeah. Well, that was an actual uh, thing going around back then, the John Birch Society. Uh, was talking about fluorides being put in the water as a communist plot, you know, to to mess with Americans, basically. So that's where they kind of took that that element of the movie from. And but yeah, he keeps going on about the fluorides and the and that you know you got to make sure you have filtered water and you got to have you know don't drink the tap water and don't. Yeah. 
He's like with Peter ever... Sellers, and the other role is Mandrake. Right? He takes yeah, his drinks like with rainwater and uh, uh, what was the liquor? Uh, ungrained alcohol or grain alcohol or something like that, right? Oh, like rainwater yeah. and grain alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> I love. I love the. There's a lot of good lines in here. I, at least ones that I loved, and they were delivered perfectly. One was uh, when the when the they bring in the the Russian um, ambassador into the war room, and then. <laughs> <laughs> Turgeson, which is George C. Scott's character. They get into a fight or you know, a little scuffle, and then the president comes over. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. <laughs> <laughs> How about some of the names here, too, like before we, we dive further into it? Some of the character names in this movie are awesome. When you see them all lined up to each other, that's when you <laughs> that's when it really hits you like, okay, th- these are just like stupid names, right? Not the British, but the Russian uh, prime minister. What the Russian guy the there? The ambassador. Kissoff? No, his name is Alexei de Sadesky. <laughs> there was somebody who was Kissoff. I guess maybe that's the prime minister of Russia or whoever it was. Man, the premier, I, he's on the phone with the premier, so I can't remember what his name was. Maybe that's what it was. But you've got President Merkin Muffley. Uh, of course, Dr. Strangelove, but you've got Buck Turgeson, <laughs> General Jack D. Ripper. <laughs> Colonel Bat Guanos, Bat shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> Major King Kong, Major Kong, uh, Lieutenant Lothar Zog. I mean, like, just some ridiculous names when you, like, see them all lined up with each other like that. General Faceman. <laughs> <laughs> what What was Turgidson's obsession with the chewing gum, by the way? Like, they kept cutting to him, like, popping in gum. Like, dude probably chewed, like, 45 pieces of gum in this thing, like... Was there yeah, it's probably a fruit stripe. It's probably uh, done by like <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, eight seconds. That, like one one shoe, it's already lost its flavor. Unfortunately, <laughs> fruit stripe or some of the, one of those old school ass gums like tea berry or something. <laughs> I remember you talking shit about tea berry from fucking like thirty years ago. Fucking talking shit about tea berry. Fucking nasty ass. Those freaking old ass family barbecue restaurant. <laughs> options <laughs> but uh yeah there's an obsession there like you know with that so that's pretty good um when the president is talking with the russian premier <laughs> and the ambassador just keeps side-eyeing him like just staring at him as he's talking to him i was just i was just rolling watching that stuff i thought it was hilarious uh but you have the doomsday machine which did did they ever really fully explain what the fuck it was it was like something automatically triggers in Russia, there's some underground bomb or something like that. Is that what it was? Maybe I just didn't get the gist of what it was supposed to be. I don't remember hearing it fully explained either. Just being the doomsday machine that will basically kill off all life <laughs> in the yeah. general vicinity that it, that it blows up in, right? Yeah. There was something about an automatic trigger, and that's where you're introduced to Dr. Strangelove, which, by the way, you're 51 minutes into the movie before you see Dr. <laughs> Strangelove, the, the title character, right, so to speak. Yeah. And the movie's only, mind you, an hour and 38 minutes, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I think it was an hour and thirty five. So yeah. <laughs> you're most you're uh, well over halfway. You're most of the way through the movie before you meet Doctor Strangelove. I, I love that though when you know Turgeson's kinda running around George C. Scott's character. He's kinda running around like angling and you know, talking to the president or whatever. And there's that one time I swear it looked like it was legit and he just went with it when he tripped and fell and then he just rolled. That was legit. That well, was it, legit. It I read about be, that. He actually I'll... tripped and Kubrick thought that he was doing he was improvising. He thought it was part of his character's 
thing to trip or whatever, but it wasn't. He just got back up and, and just kept going with the lines yeah. or whatever. <laughs> he just tucked and rolled and kept going. I thought it was hilarious, but yeah. I was like, it looked too real. It looked too accidental for it not to be real. So I'm not surprised by that, that it was, was legit. Yeah. Yeah. You got also, of- since we're on that track with uh, George C. Scott, you know how Kubrick, of course, likes to do multiple takes. George, well, not George C. Scott, Peter Sellers, whatever, rather, didn't like to do a whole lot of takes, but we'll get to that. Talking about George C. Scott, he, uh, <laughs> this uh, particular style of acting or whatever, like he, he was trying to be more restrained. He was trying to just act like he normally would act in any other movie, but Kubrick wanted him to overact yeah. because his Over character supposed to be that way and George C. Scott couldn't say no I think that's ridiculous I don't think but he did it and then later on afterwards this came to be one of his favorite roles he yeah. said uh, and he's glad that Kubrick did make him go to that point you know but you can I mean it's definitely you could see it in his character that yeah he's, ha- he's Kubrick ha- knew what he was doing and he did it the right way he's hamming it up and he's he's eating it up but you know mm. but it works it works yeah and this is why like I said I, I'm you know Maybe in a lot of ways that that's where the comedy, that's why Kubrick maybe didn't take the comedy so well because he was one of those perfectionist type of dudes that wants to do forty takes. Remember, I think we talked about there during The Shining where they do like a hundred takes and they were driving okay. people crazy, like he tortured Shelley Duvall and stuff like that. Maybe maybe that's why comedy wasn't his bag because comedy to me seems like it has to be more off the cuff. You know, like if you repeated the same yeah. joke a hundred times, you'd lose the laughs, right? Like you'd lose the comedy. You would just, yeah, you just, I, yeah, because you can see how it would work in a horror movie. As far as you're trying to get somebody into this, especially in a claustrophobic type movie, you know, they want to, you want to get them into that mood where they feel like they're, they themselves are kind of terrified. <laughs> yeah, like The Shining or whatever. But yeah, when it comes to comedy, somebody's going to be delivering the line after they've delivered it the thirtieth or fortieth time. They're not going to be so enthusiastic about the hitting it. You know, the mark of yeah, do what you know. Do comedy. You got certain things you got to do to get the joke to come off good. I think you need to do it in a couple of takes and each take probably needs to be a little different. So each time it's fresh, you know, like you can't do 80 takes in comedy. You get a and that brings me to that Peter Sellers thing where because Sellers doesn't like doing multiple takes. He only likes to do a couple. Yeah, and that's it's it. probably like that natural improv comedian type thing kicks in where you're yeah. like, all right, I just want to keep going, you know, keep, keep rolling with the punches. I don't want to repeat it over and over and you lose the, you lose the funny, you know? Mm. And you can tell if it's not funny to the person delivering the lines, it's probably not going to be funny to us watching it. Yes. <laughs> Talk about, uh, you know, just, I mean, being funny in the moment uh, when, I, and this is actually near the end, actually, when uh, uh, Dr. Strangelove is uh, fighting, you know, his uh, salute arm, like, <laughs> and, uh, you can yeah, see. Yeah, condition, and there is an actual condition, I forget what it's called, where your hand, where you can't control the nerves and things in your hand or whatever, and apparently he supposedly has this condition. <laughs> Murdoch from the A-Team had it, his haunted hand. Haunted <laughs> 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 hand. <laughs> I remember that. But does it, yeah, like, I'm, now granted. I was, I was kind of reading it more like he's like fighting off the Nazi in him. You know, like yeah. clearly he's like a former former yep. Nazi because he keeps saying "Mein Führer." I mean, President. You know, like that <laughs> yeah. line again. So you he, can also like during like, that whole uh, that whole scene, you can see um, uh, Peter Bull, who plays the uh, Russian ambassador. You can see him trying to contain his laughter. He's like, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> just trying to hold it in. He's trying not to bust out laughing, man. Yeah, I read about that, and they he had Kubrick had to cut a lot of. Uh, what do you call the, What do you call those shots when you're getting pickup shots of like reactions and things or whatever? Mm-hmm. 
with just covering different angles to get various angle coverage or whatever. He had to cut a lot of those angles and things out because people weren't able to keep a straight face in those shots. <laughs> I can imagine that when you've got Peter Sellers, like going full Peter Sellers in this, you know, on the set, like, you know, really, oh, yeah. really just leaning into everything and just going nuts. Cause you can tell that's what he does here, you know, with each character, really. Yeah. You could, I could see where that would be a hard one to not crack up and laugh at him, you know, in the moment. Even Kubrick himself, I'm reading about that too, and that, that he generally was, uh, could hold his composure when he's directing and all that stuff. But for this movie, it was the only movie where he he, he rarely could keep his, keep his composure with Peter Sellers around. Yeah. Like he, he broke down in like tears in some of the scenes. <laughs> How about the, uh, the they live type of, uh, thing going on with like on the army base where they've got the signs everywhere says peace peace is our profession and it, it, mm. there were certain things like in the background and going on at that army base and other places that kind of reminded me of they live right like that kind of same kind mm. of thing that's true but that one sign which was this was odd that like you said it's kind of like they live it's like they had to plant that sign there right but no that that sign was actually part of the military base <laughs> he just shot it it was part of their slogan on the base. I mean, it seems very like propaganda kind of, right? Like very forced kind yeah. of thing in the, in this place to have that. So I guess there yeah. probably is some probably is some yeah. realism there. I'm sure it was perfect. I'm sure as soon as he saw that sign, he's like, "Yeah, this is going in the movie." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Colonel Backguano. <laughs> and he even says, "Whoever says his name says if that really is your name or if that is your real name." Yeah. Yeah, he does say that. Is uh... when you when you were introduced uh, to uh, Keenan Wynn's character, Batguano, there when he he shows up, he's got Mandrake like by gunpoint, and then that's like you said earlier when he has to force him to use the payphone or whatever to call the press. Yeah, and then when uh, he asks him the line when he asks him for uh, like twenty five cents or whatever it was to make the call, he's like, "You don't think yeah. I'd go into combat with loose change in my pockets, do you?" <laughs> Then he, then when he makes him like he's like well just go over like shoot that there's like a coke machine in the corner he's like shoot that yeah. open and get the change out and then he's like well that's private property you know like just serious <laughs> I can't do that was he saying something like you know if this thing doesn't go down the way it's supposed to you're gonna owe Coca Cola right next yeah, yeah. you'll have to you'll have to answer to the Coca Cola company <laughs> yeah like really yeah yeah for real in this situation. <laughs> Oh, and that's this is before that, but the scene with uh, Mandrake, Peter Sellers as Mandrake, and uh, who's the guy playing the the general that basically the, the you know the insane one that that calls for the nuclear bomb to drop and all that. Ripper, that off, Ripper, uh, Ripper. That was uh, Sterling Hayden, who's the actor. Yeah, Jack, Jack D. Ripper. How can I forget his name? Yeah, Jack D. Ripper. <laughs> so when he's in the office and when he's when he goes to the bathroom and then Peter Sellers is holding his his machine gun right and he's. Because he hear all this, and he goes to the bathroom, and he's trying to talk him into giving them the code to yeah. stop the, you know, the nuclear attack or whatever. And then he's like, uh, "How about this?" Uh, as he's in the bathroom, he's like, "How about this? I'll uh, guess the code." And then, they, then, the guy, then Jack D. Ripper closes the bathroom door, and he's, "I'll guess the code, or I'll say the some three numbers, and you tell me if I'm right." And then you hear the gunshot go off. Yeah, because Jack D. Ripper shot himself in the head. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Sellers' reaction. And it's just again, like, it's a very simple scene, but comic gold again. From yeah. thanks to Peter Sellers. The way he played that scene. Yeah, I mean, he really is like a force in this movie, man. He's he's great, really, just mm. really yeah. good shit from him in this movie. 
Um, but eventually all the planes, like they get the code, they figure out the code, all the planes are recalled except for one. And they have to basically, <laughs> this one's flying low under the radar, right? So like they're able to get so far, but uh, because they'd almost been shot down, but it's like now they're flying below the radar and they, they can't hit their main target, but now they can't get the bomb chute to open up. And this is when, <laughs> this is when old Major Kong goes down to open up the, 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 the chute, right? And then it basically opens up and he's sitting on top of the bomb as it goes down. So, of course, he's got the cowboy hat on and everything. It's Slim Pickens, right? So he's riding the bomb. <laughs> like, it's a horse. <laughs> <laughs> like it was a freaking bull. Yeah. <laughs> what did the bomb say on the end? Of, there was one that said, like, hey there, I think. Or uh, Yeah, the other I, one yeah. said, dear John. What was it yeah. on, said hi there, right? And then yeah. dear John just hey right there. Yeah. <laughs> So he's riding a nuclear warhead backwards with his cowboy hat down and then it blows up. And the ba- basically the, the final few minutes of the movie are them kind of deciding what, sh- how things should play out now. Like, well, I guess strange love kind of has like his moment. Like this is where he's fighting with his hand and the salute and all that shit. And uh, we could probably get a hundred thousand people to live underground or whatever. And uh, they're really debating this. And then, then just all the nuclear bombs start going off. Then you get the song, I don't, we'll meet again. I don't know where, I don't know when, you know, <laughs> I, 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 it's a great end. Uh, Cause really like in a movie like this, sometimes you do struggle with like, how are you going to end it properly? I thought it was a, a good end, you know, like, Oh yeah. Yeah. You have them kind of, well, that's, that's kind the only of, way to end it. You surely couldn't end it with them getting the bomb, you know, codes and all that stuff. That, was, yeah, yeah. that wouldn't have been as good. Climactic as hell, right? Like, so it, it, it ended out. like it, it kind of had that dry humor of like they're, they're kind of having this moment, like literally on the edge of nuclear oblivion. One has just been dropped yeah. in the Soviet Union. They're kind of dryly having this conversation of like, well, I guess, you know, we can get this many people to live under here. And of course, you, you know, you have to have X amount of women to men and all this stuff. And then boom. Yeah, <laughs> women to one man or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Like they're really trying to figure this out and then just all the bombs start dropping. So but there you yeah. go. Dr. Strangelove or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. What do you think that title means though? I don't I'm, gu- I'm guessing, I don't know. This is like just to play on the whole cold war thing of like everybody being worried of the bomb dropping, whether you're in America or you're in Russia or any number of other countries surrounding the whole, Cold War thing, Britain, whatever, you know. And so uh, just to play on like, okay, I stopped worrying and learned how to love the bomb. In other words, I just, you know, threw in the towel and it's whatever happens, happens. Don't don't <laughs> worry, be happy, I guess, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's kind of... If it happens, it happens. Just don't, don't, don't let it rule your life. Just fucking, if it happens, it happens. Yeah. Another, yeah. another great Stanley Kubrick movie. Like I said, we, back in episode 33, I believe it was, we did... Uh, uh, the shining. So it's nice to return back to his work. We won't have a lot of opportunities to do his work because, you know, he, mm. he didn't do a lot of the genres, so to speak that we cover, but maybe, uh, we'll find another excuse to eke a couple of them in on a uh, cult corner every now and then, especially something like a clockwork orange. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. These that one I think is, too. it's one of those movies that falls into cult film, but also mainstream, uh, well acclaimed film, you know, it, yeah. it kind of covers both categories more so than say Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket is not a, I don't think it's a cult film. It's a great film, of course, but I don't think it has that cult as much as Clockwork Orange did. You know, it's, it's yeah. yeah. Full Metal Jacket is just a great mainstream film, whereas Clockwork Orange kind of came out of. Now, you know, we could probably slide 2001 in there because that was sort of also in that same category yeah. of cult film versus 
mainstream. Yeah, if we get to any well, more of his work, for sure, Colt Corner will probably be the place for it. And um, I say, I say, we still slide Full Metal Jacket in there, anyways, even if it's not considered a cult film, because it's fucking awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and we need to get in there somewhere yeah. at some point. So there you go. Uh, Will's not here to give his two cents, obviously. But uh, Smoke, we'll, we'll start with you. What, what's your star rating? Where do you, where do you land on it? Yeah, this is. I mean, it's a classic Kubrick film, classic movie in general. It's a, it plays on the whole Cold War thing. And I, another thing I love too is, and we've covered some Cold War. What do you call? Um, I guess uh, there's a term for Cold War era type movies and things. Uh, Atomic Age, whatever you know, something like uh, the early Hammer films we did. That falls into that category of atomic space age stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Anything that has sort of these Cold War fears that are like manifested, you know. In this movie, it's it's straight in your face. In some of those other fifty sci-fi movies, it's symbolic of what's going on in the movie. Like like uh, uh, what's the alien one with the uh, where the alien comes down and they're, they're you know they basically try and blow the alien up, but the alien was really there just to as in a peaceful type you know situation. Whatever, I think it's. Uh, not this island Earth, but uh, man, I can't think of the the one he's got like the Cyclops eye or whatever, and the Klaatu Verata Nikto, the whole. <laughs> is that the day the Earth was still that one? What's that? Yeah, yeah the day the Earth was still that movie. Mm-hmm. Again, those type of Cold War fears of you know it's not a bomb, it's aliens, and they're they're coming down to possibly destroy or take over Earth or whatever. You know, all those movies that kind of stemmed out of this whole Cold War era. Uh, so I have an affinity for those types of movies. This one just happens to be right on the nose and is a satire, uh, and directed by Stanley Kubrick. So it's a uh, you know it's masterful cinematography, editing, direction, writing, acting. Everything is going to be on point. Uh, this also happens to be his last black and white movie too. So yeah, my my rating for this one would be only I can't go any lower than uh I'll go four. Donnie, what do you say? Yeah, hard to argue with any of those points. Uh, you know, we've already uh, discussed how influential it. You know, it is uh, uh, to, I mean, other other genres and or other films of the, you know, of this this type, this uh, uh, post apocalyptic, and um, yeah, it's just uh, you know all and you know also we we did mention that you know this this movie actually uh, uh, influenced some real life policy. You know, so so definitely uh, influential, and you know, I, I would echo Echo Smoke's rating at four stars. I I, I just can't see my I, I can't see giving it any less any less than four stars. And I'm gonna I'm gonna be right there with you. I'm gonna go four stars. Well done, great cast. Uh, the comedy is subtle. It's not one of those blazing saddles, yuck yuck, laugh every minute type <laughs> of you know laughs. But there's a lot of good comedy here. Solid performance obviously from Peter Sellers, George C. Scott, everybody. I mean, it's just like, like Smith yeah. said, it's, it's Kubrick. So it's on point in every facet. So, I mean, it's a great movie. And, uh, and you know, like I said, all, you know, earlier there, there are some comparisons to today. You know, if you want to look into the, the political satire aspect of it, you, you could see some of it there, you know, even though it's 60 years past or whatever. Right. So, uh, but that just, that's a testament to how well done this was by Kubrick and, and all the other people. So good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, but we're not quite done with it just yet. Donnie, where's the cult connections? <laughs> Come out and play. All right. Yeah, go for it. All right, so uh, we've actually got, got oh, several sorry, sorry. here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks. That's <laughs> just playing on a loop inside my uh, 
at the phones here. Uh, yeah, we've got we've got a few. Um, so on the cast side, uh, Keenan Wynn, he played um, uh, Colonel Bat Guano. <laughs> Uh, oh, he was in shit. he was in the uh, past book show episode of The Devil's Reign. Um, Slim Pickens, who played uh, Major Kong, uh, he was in The Howling. Oh fuck! I forgot all about that. Holy shit! Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Jack Crayley, uh, he played uh, a bit part Mister Staines. Uh, he was in Videodrome. Hmm. He was. Uh, uh, I think he was Professor Brian Oblivion. Oh, okay. Huh. Yeah. Um, and then on the crew side, you know, we've already talked about Kubrick. I uh, did The Shining. And uh, makeup effects, Garth Inns uh, was on uh, an American Werewolf in London. Yeah. So quite a bit. And pretty much every, every, everyone that connected had one episode. So really couldn't grab. Had to grab them all. Yeah, yeah. That's some great connections there for sure. I completely forgot about Slim Pickens in the house. Yeah. Wow. It's a good pull. Um, all the usual aggregates over on IMDb. This gets 8.4 out of 10 stars, which obviously is really high. Once again, really high on the meta score of 97. That's out of 100. 97 mm. on Metacritic. And it's, it's no different over on Rotten Tomatoes. The tomato meter, certified fresh, 98%. Audience score, not far behind at 94%. So there you go. Not not only is this, you know, a, a great cult corner selection, a great movie for us here on the podcast, but just in general, like just a highly influential, oh, yeah. great film in movie history, period. Lucky spin of the wheel. I can't remember which one of us nominated, but lucky spin of the wheel to land on this one. It, and plus it's a good pull. It's different for the summer disaster, right? But like in the end, once you watch this movie, you'll understand, right, why this movie would be playing here on the summer disaster. So, yeah, it all makes sense. It all comes together in the end sometimes. Because there were certain parts of the movie where you're sitting there wondering, like, well, are you really going to see, you know, disaster mm -hmm. here, or or will they avert it, kind of thing? But no, you see, you know, in the end, yes, you get full on disaster for sure. Speaking of which. <laughs> Next week, the disaster continues, and this one is uh, uh, destruction on a on a uh, on a similar level. Probably not quite as bad as this, because I mean, you really believe at the end of this, like, well, the world is fucked, right? <laughs> like the way they ended at the end of this movie, like, yeah, well, nuclear winter has arrived. Like the world is fucked for the next hundred years, probably. Um, but next you week, assume that after this detonation of this bomb, then Russia set off their doomsday one, and then yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that's kind of what you see there. You know, you see yeah. that well, you know, we're fucked. This one is similar, but you know, crisis averted kind of thing, and you know, and, and that's a little bit of a spoiler alert. But you'll see when we when you watch it with us next week. This is how we're going to celebrate the uh, uh, Independence Day. We're going to celebrate July Fourth here in the United States with. Independence Day for, <laughs> from, <laughs> from 1996. It kind of fell into my lap. It's my choice. And it fell into my lap because my choice fell on around, you know, Independence Day. <laughs> so what, what other yeah. movie could you go with it's on a disaster uh, summer than that? Yeah, typically we run into, we, ju we just kind of, you know, stumble into things. But this one was a little bit more intentional. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, yeah definitely intentional and perp and, you know purposeful yeah. and perfect. Just perfect. 
Yeah. Uh, because it, the although the episode actually does come out on July 3rd, so you know we're celebrating the day early, but either way, yeah. I'm sure most people probably don't listen until the next day anyway. So either way, come join us on July 3rd or July 4th for Independence Day for 1996. I'll read the IMDb synopsis. The aliens are coming, and their goal is to invade and destroy Earth. Fighting superior technology, mankind's best weapon is the will to survive. Will being Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, this is a disaster uh, movie perfection too, as far as like the directors Roland Emmerich. You know, like you've got some of the, mm. you've got some of the the stars and and the, uh, and the directors and everything lining up here, like people that were involved in other disaster type flicks. Uh, this is one of the big dogs from the nineties. Yeah. So, uh, not necessarily specifically horror, but there's some horror elements there. You know, it's more of a sci-fi mm. action adventure, sci-fi type flick, but, uh, there's some horror elements there and, and certainly in the vein of, uh, the summer disaster, I feel. So we got that and, and maybe a little bit more on the head, but, uh, which head that's what we need to determine is later this week, this Friday, matter of fact, Crapster P 16 comes out. And uh, some combination of Donnie and Smoke and Will are going to be talking about disaster movie. And I say all of them because I was the one that nominated it. It won. I don't have to be there, so I ain't there. <laughs> so it's some combination of you three guys will be talking about yeah. disaster movie. Yep. Yeah, I feel uh, I feel a little under the weather actually. Uh, I don't really uh, throat, feel too good right now. I'm getting, I get that, the... I'm getting a summer cold. <laughs> <laughs> So that's, that's how we're going to end the month of June, literally on June 30th over on patreon.com slash spook show. Another turd floating to the top and you can go on our socials now and vote on this month's poll. That's out there now too. So we, you don't ever want to forget that. And of course, go to aaspookshow.com. That's the center of the spook show universe. You can find all these things and more over there. So, uh, for Will, who couldn't be with us, Donnie, professor smoke. I'm Josh. We are the all American spook show. And we'll talk to you next week for independence day. Goodbye, everybody, and remember, please, for the next day or so, the terrible lesson you learned tonight.